You're listening to a podcast from the House of Literature in Oslo, presenting adapted versions of lectures and conversations featuring international writers and thinkers. You can find more information about the House and our events on our website. When she is asked what the word racism means to her, the American intellectual Ruth Gilmore replies that racism is the exposure of certain population to a premature death. This definition also works for homophobia, male domination, transphobia, class discrimination, all the phenomena of social and political oppression. If we consider politics to be the government of human beings by other human beings, and the existence of individuals within a community that they did not choose, then politics is the distinction between population where life is supported, promoted, protected, and population that are exposed to persecution, murder, death. Last month, I came to see you in the little town up north where you now live. It's a gray, ugly town. The sea is just a few kilometers away, but you never go there. I hadn't seen you for a few months. When you opened the door to me, I didn't recognize you. I looked at you. I was trying to read in your face the years spent away from you. Later, the woman with whom you live told me you could hardly walk anymore. She also told me that you needed an apparatus to breathe at night or your heart stops. It can no longer beat an aid without the help of a machine. After you stood up to go to the bathroom and came back, the 10 meters you had walked left you breathless. You had to sit down to recover. You apologized. You explained to me that you were suffering from a serious form of diabetes, that you could have a heart attack at any time. You are no longer allowed to drive. You are no longer allowed to drink. You are no longer allowed to take a shower without taking tremendous risks. You are barely 50 years old. You belong to that category of human beings for whom politics has reserved a premature death. Throughout my childhood, I longed for your absence. I would return from school toward the end of the afternoon, around five o'clock. As I drew closer to home, I knew that if your car wasn't parked out in front of the house, that meant you would be gone to the cafe or to your brother's place. 
and that you would come back home late, perhaps in the middle of the night. If I didn't see your car up on the sidewalk, that meant that we would be eating without you, that we won't see you until the next day. Every time I approached our street, I thought of your car and I prayed to myself, make it not be there. Make it not be there. Make it not be there. Good evening and welcome everybody. My name is Susanne Kalutza and I am the new director here at the House of Literature. What we just heard was Edouard Louis and Sandra Kolsta performing The Political Body. That performance premiered here at the House of Literature in 2017. It was the main event in our celebration of our 10 year anniversary. And that performance was also the starting point of Who Killed My Father or Vem Drepte Farmin, which was published in, in France last year and today in this Norwegian translation by Egil Halmey. As you can understand, we at the Literature House are particularly proud of the book and are very happy to have Edouard Louis here tonight. But he's not here alone. As you know, tonight we have the pleasure of giving you a talk with two of the most important young intellectuals in France and in Europe. A talk between two very good friends, but also a talk with two outstanding spokespeople for the ignored, for the invisible, and for the un unrespected citizens of France, the poor, the marginalized, and the neglected, the victims of violence of society, both the symbolic and the very real. Geoffroy du Lasagnerie, and I pardon my French, is one of the most interesting philosophers and sociologists of today. Edouard Louis has rapidly become one of the most important and most political young novelists of France. As someone who has worked in the media for several years, I can tell you that the largest fault never lies in the story the media tell you. It is in the stories that they don't tell you. The stories of the poor, the stories of the marginalized, the stories of the people working in un unacceptable conditions or those abandoned by the state. As the cultural historian Michelle Denning has said, the only thing worse than being exploited is not being exploited. Somebody needs to tell their stories. Somebody needs to hold a conversation about how society works from their perspective. Somebody needs to rid the working classes of the shame and make them visible. And somebody must make the violence perpetrated against these human beings visible. Sometimes a yellow vest is needed in order to become visible. Sometimes a bullhorn is needed to be heard. And sometimes a revolt is needed to be respected. Tonight, our guests will share their thoughts in this discussion moderated by the Literature House's own artistic director, Andreas Delset. Please give them a warm welcome. Okay, Welcome, everyone. Thank you to Susanne for the introduction. Uh, welcome, Edouard, back. And welcome for the first time in Norway, I think. Geoffroy? Oui, c'est vrai. Oui, yes, it's true. <laughs> Thank you very much. 
and the brief is to speak in English. Absolutely. But uh, if you need to go into French, uh, I'm sure we can manage. Okay, perfect. Uh -huh. um, as, uh, I mean, Susanne gave a beautiful introduction, but just to remind everyone, uh, Edouard here is the author of three uh, books uh, in Norwegian, uh, three books of fiction. He's also very good on social media, much better than me. Uh, the End of Eddie, I think it's called in English. Uh, um, the History of Violence, and then this new one, Vem Drepte Farmin, which we will return to in a second. Um, all of these books uh, are translated into Norwegian, but they're also uh, in, in other, numerous other languages and also in stage adaptations. I think there's some underway, even in Norwegian, as we speak. Uh, and then Geoffroy, um, philosopher, sociologist, uh, and you're a professor, uh, you teach, uh, and uh, you're the author of several books, both academic and what is sometimes called general or popular. Um, two English titles, because we cannot mention all, but two titles that maybe give us a uh, suggestion of what you work with. The Art of Revolt, Snowden, Assange, Manning. And the other one, maybe even more pertinent, Judge and Punish, The Penal State on Trial. We'll get back to that as well. But the one we'll focus mostly on tonight is your most recent book called Le Combat Adama, uh, co-written with uh, Asa Traoré, and we'll return to that shortly. But we have to start with Edouard. Um, and as you heard, uh, here at uh, Literaturist, we're very proud of, of this book, uh, for obvious reasons, uh, because it started here. Uh, but I wanted you to ask, start by asking you, can you tell us how it started for you, uh -huh. this book? Uh, yes, uh, thank you, and thank you for being here. Um, yes, I mean, um, when you contacted me to uh, perform a new text here at the Literature Uzet, um, I had just uh, saw my father a few weeks before, uh, for the first time in, uh, in several years. I, I was not talking to my father anymore, we had no dialogue anymore, no communication anymore. And um, we, we never had, we didn't have a big conflict. It was just a, it was just a story of, of two different beings being uh, split away, split apart. And I was writing in Paris, living my gay life, living my life as a writer, being a left-wing activist with Geoffroy and with Assa Traoré and with other people. And, and, and my father was in the small um, region in the north of France where I grew up. Um, voting for the far right, um, being an anti-gay, anti-migrant person. And so because of that, the, the communication uh, with him became uh, impossible, completely impossible. So he had my number, I had this, his number, but we would never just, never call each other. Mm. And, um, and one day, uh, a, few time, a few weeks before you contacted me, uh, my father called me for the, f for the first time in years, um, and he was crying. Uh, and he told me, um, I'm so proud of you. Uh, it was after I published History of Violence and Eddie Belgel. And he told me, I'm so proud. I look at you on TV. I buy your books. I buy them for all of my friends. Uh, I want to see you again. Why did you disappear? Why, why are you not here with me? And it came as a shock for me. Uh, 
especially because I talk about uh, me being gay in my books. <laughs> and when I was a child, my father would often say, we have to kill gay people, we have to kill Arabs and gay people, we have to send uh, gay people and Arabs in concentration camps. He would say these sentences all the time. You, you, can't, you can't even imagine, you can't even believe how much he was saying these kind of things. And so when he called me and he told me, I'm proud of you, like considering what I wrote, it was a very, very big surprise, a very big shock. And so I decided to go to the north and to visit him. And I opened the door and I saw my father who is more or less 50 years old. And when I opened the door, I realized that my father was completely destroyed. In five years of silence, in five years of absence, his body has been as you uh, uh, witnessed in the, in the video, as I was saying in the video, uh, he cannot breathe without an apparatus, he cannot walk, uh, he cannot work anymore, uh, he cannot do anything normal anymore. And um, I asked myself what happened. Like My father had no, has no disease, the state of his body is due to the place he, he belongs to in the world. It belongs to its, its social class, his background, his history, and the history of a social class which is being uh, destructed by our system. And, uh, and so I wanted to write about it, but I didn't know how to do it. Mm. I, I, was looking for a certain form, a certain way of writing, and, and you called me and you told me, do you want to write something for, for us? And uh, suddenly it made it possible. It made it possible. I, I don't know, maybe the, may, probably the idea of sort of performing it made me more brave. I had the impression I was uh, like carrying his voice for him, that I was carrying his body for him, that I was like I, would, I, was, I wasn't just writing it, I was performing it in an audience, and the audience couldn't ignore the existence of my father anymore. And so that's, why, that's how it started. And, and then I wanted to make a book <laughs> out of it. Mm. So that's the, that's the story, that's the beginning. One thing that's uh, in the book that's not in the performance is the actual opening page. Uh, where it describes the kind of, it says that if this was, if this text was a theater text, mm -hmm. and you make a very um, interesting reflection there on the how you say in, in the theater text it says that uh, only the son is talking, mm -hmm. not the father. Mm -hmm. Could you say something about that? Yes, because I mean. Um, <laughs> I don't know, like, if you, if you interview my father, if you ask him questions about his body and about his life, uh, he won't necessarily tell you the same things that I say, you know, because, like, this night is called, it's called Broken Bodies, and, and, and in the milieu in which I grew up, in the working class in general, in the, no, in the working class in Norway or in France, uh, to have a broken body is obvious, you know, it's everyone has a broken body around you, you have a broken body, your father had a broken body. Recently I saw, I saw my big sister again, like my father after a few years, and she was with her partner, and her partner is my age, 25, 26, something like this, and um, uh, he's working as a, as a construction worker, and I told him, uh, uh, is it okay, isn't it too hard, uh, are you doing okay? And uh, he told me, uh, oh yes, you know, sometimes I, I come back home at night and uh, I have to take painkillers or your sister had to put um, a, a balm on my, on, on, on my back, pomade, uh, because I suffer so much, but 
it's uh, I know this is the way it works. My my father had the, had the same thing. My father was a construction worker. He helped me entering this company of construction work, and uh, I know in, at 50 years old I will have trouble uh, with 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 my back. And uh, and he was saying it in in such a plain voice, you know. He was not he was not angry, and I wanted to take him and to shake him and to and to mm -hmm. tell him like it's not normal, you know. If you have 20, you are 25 years old, and you go back home every day and you suffer and you can't move, and you have to take medications at 25 years old, because he stopped school at 16. So for nine years, he has been a construction worker. He's breathing the, 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 the la, la poussière, the dust. He's breathing, he's breathing the dust. He doesn't even think about it. I told him, and what about the dust? Oh, yes, there is a lot of dust. And so, you know, it's, um, I, I, am, I, am carrying, uh, I am carrying a complaint that my father would not necessarily carry, you know? Mm -hmm. And uh, also because, as I say in the book, it's also an issue of masculinity to never complain, to be a man, to be a man who don't complain. And, uh, and so all, to write for my father is also a way of writing against my father, you know? And this book was more difficult for my father than The End of Eddie, for example. Because in The End of Eddie, I say, I talk about his violence I, I focus more on his violence against women, against LGBT people, against migrants in the, in the, in the way he was talking about migrants when he was going to vote for the far right. Um, but for him, it was okay to be violent with other people. But to know that he suffered, he cannot accept that. He cannot accept that. And that the bourgeoisie, they can't understand it. Mm. You know? They told me, oh, this is the book of reconciliation with you and your father. No. This is, they don't know anything about the working class. This is the hardest book for my father. Because I don't tell you made other people suffer. Mm. I tell him you suffered. Yes. And for him, it's unbearable. So that's why the, the, it starts. And also, I have a beautiful re relationship with theater. I've been working with Churchill here and, and with Emil. And uh, they will uh, perform the text at the Norsco Theatret. And, um, in the autumn. In the autumn. autumn yeah. And I, I, I mean, we are stronger together. That's why mm. theater is important mm. for me. Mm. <laughs> yes. Don't you think, is it because there's, it's hard for him because there's a lack, in, in this text, he's more or less without agency. He doesn't have any, I'm thinking of this, there's the scene where, uh, that you describe of, from, from your life with him uh, in Christmas. Mm -hmm. um, where he's uh, refusing, kind of. Um, that's what makes it so hard for mm -hmm. him, probably. Yes, yeah. It, I, I think for him it's more an issue of masculinity because, as I, as I talk about in the book, the masculinity was an, an, an obsession for my father and for the people around me in my childhood. And so, not to be weak, not to be, you know, as I, as I always say, in a way, my father was more determined by homosexuality than I was. You know, Social, socially speaking, my father was more structured by homosexuality. I am very structured by homosexuality. So, can you imagine my father? And uh, because, like. His, his, every, like, his everyday life was structured by the, the idea that he should not look gay. You know? mm. So I'm not going to cross my legs or I will uh, look gay. I will not eat small... Ooh. <laughs> 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 I will not eat small food because I don't want to be gay. I will, I will disobey at school and I will exclude myself from the school system and then I will have no diplomas and I will have difficult jobs in my life because mm. I don't want to be gay because who is submitted to the system mm. except for women and gay and weak people, mm. you know? And so, like, it's, it's so true. It's so true. Like, when it's the same thing for my brothers when they were at school. They thought, like, to obey social order 
uh, that was embodied in the school system was, was something that sounded weak, you know, mm. yes, something like feminine. And so the whole life of my father, and when I say my father, I talk about a collective father, about the men around me, and, and probably most of the men, a lot of men here in, in Norway, his entire life was determined by homosexuality. But for him, homosexuality was kind of a ghost, uh, you know, circling around him, and, and something that he wanted to escape again and again. And uh, that's why also when I, I talk about homosexuality, I, I'm, I'm fighting for, for him. You know, mm. I'm, I'm, I'm fighting against the, this ghost that he, that he created. Mm. And um, so, so, yes, this, this, this is, the, this is the, mostly the, the hardest part for, for someone like him to say, mm. m maybe more than... And, and anyway, you know, I don't, I, don't, I don't know what it means, agency. I, don't, uh, mm. I never say people have agency or people don't have agency. I don't have any theory about that. Mm -hmm. What I can say is that some people have the agency destroyed, you know? Mm. I don't know if my father had agency, didn't have agency. Mm. I don't know. What I know is that every time he was trying to have agency, it was smashed and, and crushed and destroyed by the social class he was living in. Mm. And everyone, every time he was trying to experience a dream, it was broken. Uh, by our society. Everyone was trying to have the smallest dream, it was broken. So it's not interesting for me to say, do we have agency or not? The, the, the political question and the more important question is like, why some people have the agency completely destroyed as soon as they try to do something? Maybe it's the transition to, to the book of Geoffroy, when, when Geoffroy and Assa talks about the, the young black man in France, and Assa Traoré uh, says that when you are a young black man in France, the society is destroying your dreams again and again, you know? You, 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 you are, you know, playing in the street with your, with, your, with your friends, and then the police come and they stop you, you know? You try to do something, and then the police stop you. Every time you try to make a move, you try to, every time you try to have a body, they destroy your body and the agency at, at, at the same time. So, yes. Maybe it's the time to, to bring in Geoffroy and his book. Uh, Le Combat Adama. So Adama is the same name as Adam in Norwegian, uh, more or less. Um, and uh, maybe we can start. Maybe you could start by explaining who is Adama. I don't think. Uh, I mean, there's. I could not find actually any news articles in Norwegian about this case, mm -hmm. which is kind of peculiar because there seems to be very many articles about it in France now. Yeah. So who is Adama and and your co-writer who is Asa Traoré? Yeah, so um, Adama is a, a was a young uh, black uh, guy. He died uh, the day of his birthday. He was 24. He was just uh, having a ride on his bicycle in his uh, little town near Paris. And suddenly the police uh, appeared in the street. And so as uh, many, many people who are black or Arab, they are afraid by the police. So he... He fled, he, he went away, and so the police um, um, uh, engaged in a, in a um, wanted to arrest him, despite the fact that he was not uh, searched, he was not known for anything, he was not um, guilty of anything, and so they, they stopped him and they they kind of uh, exercised of, uh, on him a, a very violent way of arresting him, and he died, uh, and suffocated, and he died mm -hmm. uh, in, the, in the, the police station. Uh, I think it's the same method that was used on a young man in 
Trondheim in Norway a few years ago. Okay, so it's yeah. a method that is very, very important because it's a method that is forbidden, for example, in, the, in Belgium, in Switzerland, in some states in the US. In France, it's called the placage ventral. So you have three bodies upon you. So Adama Traoré suffered the fact that uh, 250 kilos of, of uh, cops His stomach were, yeah, and his stomach the floor. And, his yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and so he died. And so the issue is that uh, Asa Traoré, she's... Uh, her brother, she's a bit older, a sister, sorry, mm. and uh, she big. Uh, so you were in a, a city, a kind of uprising, uh, revolt for five days. So car were car were burned. Uh, you had a lot of uh, resistance against this aggression, and uh, Asa suddenly became one of the most important uh, uh, figure who embodied uh, the fight in France against uh, police violence and against uh, structural uh, racism, and uh, a few. Years, uh, so it was in 2016, and two years ago we, we met, we had some kind of uh, discussion, and we became very, very friends with Edward and with some other people from the committee. And last year, when I was invited to organize a series of, uh, of lectures uh, in Paris of public discussions, I was a host and I invited once a month someone to have a conversation. I decided and by that time, she was already a, a prominent leader of this campaign. Exactly. Right? Justice for Adama. Justice Absolutely. For Adama. Justice yeah. for Adama. And so I decided to have a conversation with her to open the, the series of public discussions. And uh, we decided to, to make a book uh, in order to, you know, uh, in France, but it's true of course in the US and so on, uh, the issue of um, how the police violence, how the police uh, organizes um, the different ways of uh, dealing with the public space, about our legitimacy to live in a country, about the issue of of, uh, uh, the rule of law and so on, the democracy. I think it's a key question, and I, it's true that in the, the the left, sometimes we we have a tendency to to link the left to a reasoning in terms of economic, in terms of class, mm -hmm. and I think that the issue of police might be another central theme for analyzing the society and for criticizing how a society works. And so we decided to write this book together mm -hmm. in order to address um, through the, the, the case of Adama Traoré and of the black and Arab uh, young men killed by the police. In France, we have 15 people, so once a month, uh, uh, killed by the police uh, and uh, to produce an, anal an, an analysis of uh, police, of racism, of uh, justice, of democracy, and of uh, a new way of thinking about uh, the left. You know, perhaps to link with Edward's book, you know, I think that um, perhaps it's a, it's a kind of gesture that is very close, the who killed my father and the mm. combat Adama, which is to say to start with um, a, a locality, a very situated point, in order to, to produce a new way of analyzing society and to develop a new language to think about society. So for example, what is it to think about uh, society uh, through the body of uh, Edward's father? And what is it to think about society uh, through uh, the, the scene of the arrest and the, the death of mm. Adama Traoré. Mm. And if you do that, you, 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 you escape um, the ways uh, the left of sociology, of theorists, of, often speak about society with very abstract uh, categories, for example, race, or gender, or mm. I don't know, sexuality, or class, mm. and so on. And you need to find new ways of, um, of capture the whole society, because when you think about Edward's father, you have to deal with class, with masculinity, with whiteness, and so on, in, in one 
sentence, and Adam Atraori too, it's about public sphere, about mm -hmm. democracy, police, race, everything is mixed. And you have to develop new ways of thinking um, that would never mutilate one side of what happens. So if you speak only about race, you will lose something. If you speak about mm -hmm. only about class, you will lose something. And that kind of work to recreate a situated language for the left, mm -hmm. I think it's a very, very important task today. Is it what we try to do with Asa and what Edouard mm -hmm. tried to, mm -hmm. to deal with in his book? Yeah. Mm -hmm. You describe very uh, uh, nicely, uh, at least for someone who does not read proper French, properly in French, uh, it sounds very nice to me, at least. Uh, <laughs> uh, how you and Asa were living in two different worlds yeah. before this, and uh, and a bit later you said you describe how the world of Adama and Asa does not exist in the public discourse, more or less. Uh, and but in the very brief moments when they're mentioned, it's as if it's like mere accidents, <coughs> impossible to understand. Um, can you elaborate a bit on yeah, that? Yeah, you know, there is a very famous quote by um, Walter Benjamin where he says... Uh, by Walter Benjamin, mm -hmm. you know, there's a German... Uh, German uh, I'm sorry for my accent. Yeah, and he says... Uh, oh. <laughs> I know. And he says... Um, if you look at the tradition of the oppressed, you understand that the state of exception is the rule. And I think that means that, the, in fact, you, you could say that if you look at the world through the eyes of the oppressed, what they call the rule is the state of exception, mm. and what the dominant calls the state of exception is, in fact, the rule for the, the dominated, for the subjugated. Mm. So, in fact, when I say, Asa and I, we don't live in the same world, it's, for example, I can say me as a white guy privileged from a, a bourgeois <coughs> um, um, family, that for me, I, kind, I can't say I am protected by the police. I don't feel a danger by the, by the police. Mm. I can say that the cool system helped me, give me knowledge. Mm. Um, I can say that I can work uh, fully in the street. I can say that I, I can voice my opinion. So I can say that in a way I live in a democracy. Mm. But for example, Asa Traoré, she says I live in an anti-democracy. Where I live, the police is what uh, um, uh, threatened me. Mm. Uh, the school is not where I learned something, it, it is where I feel humiliated. It is where the teacher told me or my brothers, you will never succeed, uh, don't go to school, etc. The hospital is a place when I fear to go because someone can report what I do to the police and so on. So in fact, you have two sides of the world and you have um, the, so we live in the same world, mm. but the fact that I benefit from a lot of things from the world has, from, mm. has a kind of a counterpart, mm. which is the fact that there are mechanisms of persecution, uh, mechanisms of exclusion, mechanisms of domination, um, um, which are exercised on populations like uh, black mm. uh, Arabs people in, mm. in French or poor uh, white people and so on. Mm. And so... Um, we, we, if we think of the world through the eyes of the dominated, we have a very, very different uh, uh, vision of what an institution is. So, his, for example. So, um, that's why, I, and I know, I, th I, I, th I think that we all know that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there is a, this idea of um, that we often say that we have to make 
things visible, that we, some, some realities are hidden, uh, and that we, the task of intellectuals or uh, critics is to show the invisible. But I think... Give them voice. Is, or yeah, something. and I think it's not true. I think it's mm. absolutely visible. You know, I think that the, the task of uh, the Adamas fight or the Edwards mm. book, we just make visible the visible. You know, we make visible what everybody sees, what everybody knows, but precisely mm. because we know it, because we see it, we don't want to tell it, because we don't want to, f to, to, to face the reality of uh, what kind of privilege mm. we, we have, because people are disenfranchised, mm. because they work, because they suffer, mm. and so on. Mm. And so the task for me is just to, to say what we already know, and that we don't want to say we know. Right? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Um, <coughs> no, I... Uh, <laughs> you could disagree completely. <laughs> no, I, 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 completely agree, I, I completely agree. And uh, I, I, I believe the same... I mean, Geoffroy has this very clever way of, of saying a lot of things that I agree with, but I couldn't agree with if he was not saying it before. Uh, this is the good thing when you have a friend who is a theoricist. Uh, and... Uh, but. Uh, <laughs> Everyone deserves a friend. <laughs> exactly. Especially one like Geoffroy is very hard to find, but he's um, <laughs> the most clever. Um, but um, no, the thing is, is um, it was, it, it's also it, it, it's related to the, the question you were asking me right before about the stage performance and the stage situation at the beginning of uh, Who Killed My Father? Because for me, there is, uh, we, in theater, there is this this moment where people are confronted to something uh, which is being said, you know? And some things that, as Geoffroy was saying, some, some things that people already know, but that they are maybe escaping again and again, mm -hmm. you know? And when I published Who Killed My Father, I, I was um, talking about what could be the elaboration of a confrontational literature, which would be um, mm. uh, a, a kind of literature that would reflect after what we call the, the, the committed literature, what uh, Jean-Paul Sartre, Simone de Beauvoir, and uh, a lot of people in the mid-20th century were, were calling uh, committed literature. Because the, the idea of the committed literature, la, la littérature engagée, Jean-Paul Sartre was saying, you, you show a, a situation to the reader, you show a situation of dispossession, of exclusion, of violence, you show the prostitutes, the poor people, the black people, the people who suffer from violence. Um, and from there, Sartre says, uh, you open the possibility for the reader to act or not to act. You know? So Jean-Paul Sartre says, the committed literature, it creates a freedom for the reader, which is, you see a life that you didn't see before, maybe, And then you will ask, am I doing something? Do I, do I fight against domination? Do I reproduce domination? Do I do something? Do I do nothing? And, and if we uh, take in cons it into consideration what Geoffroy just said, we can, we can assume that people already know what we are saying. You know? So for me, the matter is not like in, like in committed literature. I don't want to give a freedom to the reader. I want to take the freedom from the reader. I'm not interested in the freedoms of the reader. I want, I want them to face a reality that I, that I want to show. You know? mm. And I want them to be confronted to that and to have no way of escaping. And so like all the literary construction and, and the, the shortness and the directness and the, and the way uh, Who Killed My Father was written for me was a way to, to find a structure that would um, 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 provide 
the reader uh, from escaping. You know, there is, there is a scene that I, that I often talked about when I published Who Killed My Father, and because for me it was very uh, relevant. It was when, when, when Jean-Luc Godard, the movie maker, uh, uh, got uh, a, a Cesar, an honorary Cesar Prize, you know, so the French Prize for Cinema in France. It was in the 80s or in the 90s. And, and so there was the big ceremony, the, the César ceremony, and, uh, and Jean-Luc Godard is going to have his César, and, uh, and Isabelle Huppert is giving it to him, and he goes on stage, and when he goes on stage, he's supposed to deliver a speech. And so people expect that he will say thank you to his screenwriter, to his producer, to his... But then, when uh, Godard goes on stage, he says, uh, I want to thank... Uh, the cleaning woman of Gaumont. I want to thank the people on the phone of Gaumont. And when Jean-Paul Sartre says it, people laugh in the room. You know. Mm. So. You mean when Godard says it? When, when Godard says it, yeah. what, what did I say, Jean-Paul Sartre? Sartre oh, yeah. uh, no, <laughs> the, other, the other guy. <laughs> uh, when when, when Jean-Luc Godard says it, the people in the room laugh. You know, mm. so he's making a statement about art, about what it is to make a movie. You know, when you make a movie, when you see a beautiful movie mm. on cinema, there were some people who were cleaning the bedroom of the actors. Mm. You know, there were people who were answering the phone every day and getting insulted by crazy people. You know, <laughs> there are people who are cleaning the toilets of the actors. You know, and he said this is the condition for cinema to exist. And when he says that, people laugh. You know, as if it was a joke, as if if you if you if you thank the screenwriter, everybody is moved, but if you thank a cleaning woman, everybody is laughing. You know, and 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 for me, this laugh, this moment of laughter when people were laughing, was extremely violent, and I thought like this laughter is a tool used in order not to be confronted to what Jean-Luc Godard is saying. You know, so you laugh. And the, the, the laughter is, is, is almost a physical techniques built by our society mm. to not be confronted to the social mm. violence. And, and, and so when I was writing Who Killed My Father, I thought, what could be a book that would prevent people from turning their head, from laughing, from thinking about something else, from not being confronted mm. to what is being said? Mm. And, and this is linked to what Geoffroy was saying, because pr probably a lot of people know that poverty exists, mm. they know that extreme poverty exists, mm. but they never want to, to face it. And I am, and I, and I am here to, to force the people to, to see it, and, 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 and that's exactly what Geoffroy and Assa are doing in their yeah, book. And I, if I may uh, just say something, I think it's, a, uh, it's one of the main uh, issues for the left today and the progressive force, because uh, if you think of the world as it, uh, if you think that the domination is linked to ignorance, then you have this impression, like in Marx or in Bourdieu, that knowledge is a weapon against uh, domination and that you have to show reality in order mm. to change society. And that's mm. the, the, the idea that a progressive politics is a politics of visibility. You have to make things visible, you have to make some uh, voice heard, you know. We always believe that if you, you show realities, people will realize, ah, society is bad, so I want society to change. But if you think, as Edouard and I, that society is based on lying, on mystification and not on ignorance, how do you change someone who knows? Mm. So you don't say that the, the, the dominant don't know. Mm. You say Macron knows he destroys the body of Edouard, or the police knows they kill people. 
But if they know, you will not uh, learn them anything <laughs> by writing a book mm. about that because they know. So how do you change someone who lies? And what kind of politics is linked to the idea that domination is linked to um, mystification as not to ignorance? And I think uh, the left has never acknowledged um, and realized the, 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 the harshness of this issue. And you know, there was a famous uh, book, I think it was in the UK or in the US, I don't know, it was named Chuck Hold by Paul Butler. He's a, a, a former uh, prosecutor. He wrote you write about, about the, him in penal, in in, about the criminal justice system, and he, he wrote about uh, mm -hmm. the mass incarceration of uh, black people in the African American people in the US. And he says perhaps the hypothesis should not be that the white don't know that the reform uh, they voted for. Lead led to mass incarceration, but what if they precisely know and it is what they want? So, what if they if they want uh, black people to be sentenced to jail mm -hmm. and to have a mass incarceration of black people? Mm. If it was not just uh, an error, mm. if it was not just uh, a mistake, it's actually the intention. But if they want that, mm. if they precisely what they want, because they have less competition in the market system, because they have jobs to administer the, the jail and so on. Mm. And so if you do study about mass incarceration, you will not change. They will say, okay, perfect. <laughs> mm. That's precisely what we want. So yeah. how do we as uh, writers, um, sociologists, uh, theater players, and so on, director of a literature house, deal with the, the ideas that people know? I think that we don't know how to fight a liar. Mm. And that's a big problem for the left. Mm. I mean, could one also say that one part of it is the, the application of uh, emotions in literature again, to some extent. I mean, in your books, Edouard, I mean, ever since the, the first one, uh, the, part of the, the, the strategy of the confrontational literature that you're talking about is the, is the use of emotions. Mm -hmm. I remember that very strongly from the first time. I heard you here in, in Oslo, uh, and then in Lillehammer, even after, together with Arne Farsetos. Uh, I mean, the whole audience was crying as well. Um, uh, there is, uh, uh, and I'm thinking, there's something that happens to your, the father from the first book to the, the, the third book. Uh, it's more or less not the same man, even though it is, in a way. Um, you're kind of charging him with emotions. You're making us sympathetic towards him. Um, but I was curious about that because you can comment on the emotion, emotional aspect of it as well, but uh, also uh, from your point of view, I mean, you said that in the, when you talked about how this book came about, that you, you, um, uh, it was your, uh, your father who contacted you and that something perhaps had changed in him. But if you read the books exclusively without knowing that, uh, or so before you, you, you told us this now, I, I more got the sense that it was a change in you. To, do you see what I mean? Mm -hmm. well, to what extent was it a change in him and mm -hmm. in you, or both? But, but yeah. Um, two questions in one, I really. Like. <laughs> <laughs> uh, first, uh, I am I am made of emotions. I am a I am a sentimentalist writer. That's all I uh, all I care about, you know. And uh, this is 
all that matters for me. Mm. <laughs> it's the emotions that I feel and that drives me to write a story and to, dry, to write about someone, to be moved by a situation, to be, um, yes, really deeply moved by a situation. And regarding my father, you know, th there is this very beautiful idea in, 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 in Didier Ribon's uh, book, Returning to Reims, who was published also by Ashkao mm. uh, here in Norway, um, in which Didier Ribon says that uh, uh, childhood is a performative. So childhood, childhood is performative because you build your childhood based on your present and on your social and political and personal context. Mm. And so Didier Ribon says that when he was starting to write in the 80s and in the 90s, um, the LGBT movement was very strong in France. So every time he was thinking about his own childhood, his own body as a child, you know, his own daily life as a child, mm. he would always think about himself as a gay child, you know. I was a gay child, I was bullied, I was insulted at school, I, did, I felt different and everything. And suddenly, in the early 2000s, the political situation changed a little bit in France, and people started to talk more about social class. And because of this shift and because of this transformation of the political present, mm. because the political present had changed and people were talking about poverty a little bit more and people were talking about social class a little bit more, suddenly Didier Ribon realizes that he was also a working class kid, you know? Mm. And suddenly his perception of his own childhood, of his own body as a child, changed because of what is surrounding him, you know? And, and in a way, at a, at a, at a personal level, it's what, it's what happened with my, with my father, because the, the context and the relationship with him changed, mm. you know? He called me, he was crying, mm. I opened the door, Anybody was his body was is destroyed was destroyed, and and the very strange and tragic fact is that this destruction cracked his body open, and made possible for me to perceive and to feel and to see things that I couldn't see before. You know, mm. because it, during his whole life he was performing something, mm. he was performing strength, violence, homophobia, racism, and I don't say that it was only performing, so it was not an issue. He was really creating an awful life for my mother. He was humiliating my mother all the time. My, my, my mother, her life was ruined by my father. You know, mm. that's something that is important to say for me also because I see this word about this book everywhere: love letter, love letter. This is a love. This is not a letter, <laughs> and this is not and. And, and I don't know if I love my father, you know? I don't know if I love him, I'm not sure mm. of that. that he, he was a terrible man. He was voting for the far right. He destroyed the life of my mother. He didn't want her to wear makeup. He didn't want her to work, you know? We would go at the, at the, at the village celebration and he would call my mother fat cow in front of the whole village and the 200 people were laughing, you know? Mm. And my mother came back home and she was crying. It was the first time I saw her crying in my childhood. She would never cry. And he was not a good man. Mm. He is not a good person. I don't, I, don't, I don't need to love him in order to fight for him, mm. you know? And, and this is really what this book is about. I, I, I write and I fight for this man because this man is suffering, because this man cannot walk at 50 years old, because this man needs an apparatus to breathe at night. But I don't care if I love him or not, you know? For me, being, being left-wing and being a progressive person means to fight against effects of objective violence, no mm. matter if we love the people or not.
Maybe I love him, maybe not. Some, I mm. change my mind every day. But uh, <laughs> like you probably do. But you know, it's, it's for I me... Think, it's, yeah. you, can, you, can, you can notice that in the book as well. I mean, in the parts that you write about when you're investigating his, his life, the life, the part of his life that you didn't know about. Yes. That it, he danced. That he, that he was dancing. And, and, and frankly, it's true that because the context and, and my present was, was different at that time, when I was writing The End of Eddie, I, I didn't, re even if like in, in The End of Eddie, he was homophobic, but he helps uh, a gay man when he's, he was assaulted in the village, that uh, his best friend was an Arab guy, that he was uh, helping me to go to school, even if he was ashamed of me going to school because he thought that it was effeminate. But so it, it, there was already, of course, this complexity of, of my father. But, but here, of course, I started to remember all of these scenes because 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 the relationship uh, uh, deeply changed, you know, mm. and I started little by little to 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 remember so many scenes from from my childhood that had uh, vanished before. And so for mm. me also to to be a writer is to and to be a thinker and to, or to be an artist in general is also to uh, leave the door open to this kind of of, of transformation, you know, mm. uh, because. You know, yes, because the situation is changing, so the books mm. we write should change again and again, mm. or otherwise you write the same thing all the mm. time. And so, like in the book, there are so many, so much, so many of these scenes where uh, I, I don't remember if it was in the performance last time, but when I when I found I found a phone in the street with my best friend Amelie, and. Uh, so the, we used it, we texted uh, men that she was meeting on the internet and I was telling her, yes, ask them to send you pictures because I wanted to look at the pictures. <laughs> and, uh, and, and we used the phone during the whole night and I was using her in order to get pictures from naked men. And uh, I was like 10 years old or 11 years old. And, uh, and, uh, and the, day, the, day, the day after, the, the police called my father and, and told to my father, uh, your son stole a phone. We, we found it on, on, on the street, we didn't steal it, and we, were, we, we, we had to go to the police, and we went to the police station. And, and he, my father was so angry, and he told me, you are like Arabs people, you are uh, when you were, thief, while you were, you When are, you were going to the, to the police station. To the police yeah. station. Mm -hmm. And when we arrived at the police station, my father told to the police, uh, oh, but no, my son is the most clever person I ever met. He's the more serious guy. He would never steal anything. And I'm so proud of him, and everyone is so proud of him. Mm -hmm. And I, I didn't know that he was thinking these kind of things, because he never told me. Mm -hmm. but, but typically, these scenes, I... I, I remember them because of the because of the changing present. So, mm. what is good about changing the world we live in is that we change the present, the future, but we also mm. change the past. You know, for mm. the better. <laughs> mm. Mm. Um, we heard the quote in the beginning of the performance of Ruth um, Gilmore's definition of racism that certain populations are ascribed uh, to a premature death, uh, which I guess you could say goes somehow both for Adama and for uh, your father. Um, uh, even though, I mean, at least in Norway, we, don't, we tend not to think of these two men in the same category, right? <laughs> um, uh, how can we compare them? What's similar, what's hmm. different between the two of them? And uh, yeah, I'll start with that. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, I learned now that I shouldn't ask two questions at, in one. So we'll start with that. Then the next. Yeah. 
Comment est-ce qu'on dit se méfier d'eux uh, To uh, be suspicious towards ah, oui. something, or to be uh, suspicious. suspicious towards something. Ouais. Be... I, th I think oh, that's... In fact, it's a very good question. Um, but I think that uh, for me, for example, I always have a tendency to think that we, when we have to think about situations, the, the, it is most in, more interesting to think the difference than the similarities. Mm -hmm. And I think we have already to be very careful when we, we, we want things to be too close or to, to, to resemble uh, another thing. So, mm -hmm. But I would say that, I would say that um, the definition of a resident at Wolfsgimor, uh, so people who are exposed to a premature uh, death, mm -hmm. for me it is really the, um, the basis of a, a new kind of progressive politics now. You know, um, when we think about politics, uh, sometimes we are very cautious um, toward the idea of, um, uh, of truth. And we, we don't want to, uh, politics or progressive politics to be linked to a kind of uh, idea of uh, objectivity or truth because we associate that with uh, totalitarianism, with a refusal to debate, and we think that democracy is linked to pluralism, to know that your opinion can be challenged, and so on. Um, but I think that today we need to rebuild a kind of left that should be anchored in a theory of truth and uh, of objectivity, and I think that the issue of the broken body, in fact, can be the, the, the base of the progressive left. Mm -hmm. So who is exposed to premature death? Who is exposed mm -hmm. to rape? Who is exposed mm -hmm. to deportation? Who is exposed to uh, mutilation? Who is exposed to, mm -hmm. to prison? And in fact, I think more and more, perhaps it's strange to say that, but I, you know, I was reading a book by a, a criminologist that was in Oslo, uh, Nils Christie, a very famous uh, a thinker of the abolitionism of the penal system. And he says that you should analyze the penal system as a kind of uh, industry of pain delivery. So judges, lawyers, policemen, they, they, they deliver pain as you deliver milk, for example. And, um, <laughs> and I think you should read the whole society like that. So mm. the uh, corporations, politicians, uh, writers, uh, publishing house, everything, everyone is delivering pain, so someone, some people are exposed to, to pain, to suffering, and some, some are less, are cured from cancer, or some are not cured, and so on. And so I think that what would be common in Adama and in, uh, I don't know the, your father's first name? <laughs> Dominique. Dominique. <laughs> they have in common to be, for me, the referential, the new referential of a progressive left today. So mm. you have to think of the left as being based on a kind of vitalism, uh, which is so you can extend that to to other kind of uh, life than human life. Uh, so to give shelter, to give care, and to give uh, health to people, and to withdraw or to retrieve the forces of premature death, mutilation, rape, and so on. And I think this is a new way of articulating um, left and truth, and stopping with all the. Um, the, 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 the idea that we need to be pluralistic, we need to be reasonable, and we need to, to debate with others. We need to fight for people not mm. to die. Mm. And that's the definition of the, a new form of uh, mm. left for me.
Can you talk a little bit about the way you criticize with us as a category of racism in your book in comparison to the idea of broken body as a center of the left? Can you tell it? No, no, do it. <laughs> do it. Well, in fact, it's... Uh... Because, I mean, just to, to give some context to... This kind of discussion does not exist in Norway. I think it's very new to this audience, at least. Uh, at least it is to me. Um, we usually talk about the whole like, problem of intersectionality and uh, the fact that uh, that we cannot fight all these fights at once and blah, 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 you know? So... Mm -hmm. um, tell what we wanted yeah. to tell no, because no, I don't... Mais je sais pas ce que tu mais veux dire. Mais tu sais qu'on vous critiquez la catégorie de racisme et tout ça, comme les, les, des catégories comme ça, ce serait qui empêche de penser. <laughs> I think it's a beautiful idea and I want you to talk about it. Vas-y, fais-le. <laughs> no, I, I, I can't, I can't. But maybe I, maybe I can provoke you and some, one of you to... <laughs> but it's true that for I, I, I think, I think that what Edward wants me to say, and I think it's, but I hope it's that, it's in a part of the, we have a part of the book called Racism. And I say to it's not a book of dialogue, but some parts are uh, dialogic and some others are just statements from her or me about police, democracy, and so on. But there is a, a discussion about racism, and I say to Asa, when you speak about your brothers, your life, your fathers, and so on, you never say the word racism. Uh, you never use this category. And when I read what you write, when you, I, I hear what you say, I immediately think it's because society is racist. So why don't you use this category? And she and, says... And we're talking to the sister of a, uh, a man who was killed because he, because he was trying to... Uh, because he was black. Because he was black. Yeah. Because, he, because he, he knew he had to show his passport if the yeah, police... Just because him. he was black. Yeah. Because in fact, all the 15 people who died in France from the police, they all are black mm. or Arabs. All. Yeah. And young guy. Um, so it's because he was black. And, um, and she said that because for me... Uh, Asa says that. Asa yeah. says, uh, answers me or respond, replies to me that um, in fact... She should, not, she should not have to use the category of racism for people to understand that this is the definition of racism. And that if she only describes the life of her brother, of her father, who was mm. killed as a, a, a uh, he was killed with a, a, a lung cancer because of the working condition in factories and so on, she says, uh, if normally I just have to describe the reality of my life, of their life, for people to be outraged. And there is a problem if people need the word racism to be outraged. So if people are outraged only if I say it's racist, it means that they are not infuriated at racism, but at the word racism. Mm. So they need the word racism to be said in order to be shocked. Mm. And if I just say it happens like that, my life is that one, they are not shocked. And if I say it's racist, they say, oh, it's racist, that's mm. awful, you know? <laughs> so, and that thing that's very interesting because mm. it's in the US, you have a lot of discussion about racism. In France, you use this word. But people are perhaps more shocked by the word yeah. than by the reality. Mm -hmm. And sometimes big categories like that, mm -hmm. we think we are critical by using them. But in fact, they are way like the love in the Godard uh, scene of escaping, just being shocked by the... Uh, the, mm. the society as it is, and perhaps that's why I was saying we, we need, need, need now to think more about um, concrete uh, local scene and not with big categories. And big categories can be a way of escaping the, the, 
the capacity of, um, of um, addressing uh, social mechanisms in be shocked, being shocked by the social mechanism in themselves. Mm. Uh, and categories can be... Um, when you have to use a big category, it's too late. Mm. You know? I was right I'm to ask you to talk about it. <laughs> I'm very happy that you convinced uh, me to talk about that. Uh, time is flying really fast. It's shockingly fast, actually. Uh, so we have to try and move on. Um, uh, in a text that was published in Mornbladet this winter, Edouard, you wrote um, about your struggles with writing a text about the Yellow Vests. Mm -hmm. And uh, in that text you wrote, which happened to be a pretty good text about the Yellow Vests somehow anyway, mm. uh, the bodies in the images, that those of the Yellow Vests, are my father's <coughs> body, my brother's body, my aunt's body. Um, and uh, I was thinking, I mean, I'm, somehow I, 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 have, I have sensed that, I mean, there, you, have, you struggled with writing about this, uh, and, and you say it out loud, and uh, uh, I know that there's so much talk about the Yellow Vests. I mean, would you write, rather talk about them, or maybe there's something else we should <laughs> rather have a conversation about? Yeah. But... I mean, more in general, like first this, this text was a text that I wrote on Twitter. So it was a series of tweets um, that I wrote because I, I, I was feeling this inability to talk about this issue because there were, there, there was so much violence against this, against this protest and against this movement. And that was paralyzing me because I saw myself in the Yellow Vest and I saw the people that I knew in the Yellow Vest. I saw my family in the Yellow Vest and, and, and I felt all the attacks against the yellow vest, I, I felt them very personally, you know? So I was, I would wake up and I felt humiliated and I felt, and I couldn't work because I felt insulted and, and it was ex extremely hard. The thing is, um, when I saw the yellow vest I, 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 the, and the movement, I, I, I saw faces and, and words and sentences and, and bodies and people and lives that I would not really see in the public sphere most of the time. And they were suddenly appearing uh, and they were there. Like these people that I, want, I was trying to talk about in my books, they were there. We could see them, you know? We could see. Also, the, 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 of course, images have a very strong power, you know, that sometimes words don't have. And then I couldn't understand how people, like, how could some people say that they like my book and would be against the yellow vest, you know? Mm. I, I wanted to say to these people, don't touch my book anymore, okay? <laughs> Stay away from my book. I don't want you to touch my book, you know? Because, because there is this, sometimes sometime art is very disappointing. Sometimes we have to say that when you, when you are doing arts, sometimes you are very disappointed because what you, <laughs> you never reach what you want to reach. You never get what you want to get. And like, so many, it's, it's very easy to be moved by a piece of art. It's easy to be moved by a book. It's easy to, to be moved by a theater play or by a movie. But then to be really in favor of these people, it's, it's something completely different, you know? And, 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 and the, 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 the Yellow Vest movement was appearing and these people were saying, we don't have food, we can't pay our rent, we can't pay... And of course some people were saying homophobic and racist things, you know, I, I know it, I know it, I wrote about it, I wrote about the working class, about the racism in the everyday life of the working class, about the homophobia, but if there is racism or homophobia among poor people, 
you fight against homophobia. You don't fight against poor people. If there is racism in, among the poor people, you fight against racism, not against them, not against the poor people, you know? And it only works for the, for the working class, you know? And, 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 and suddenly was the, this emergence of reality, of people saying things that we, that we didn't hear in the public sphere anymore. People saying, I can't buy my food, soon it will be Christmas and I can't buy a Christmas gift to my children, my mother is dying five kilometers away and I can't go there and she will die because I can't take care of her, because I can't pay for the gas. And, and, and this was exactly the kind of things that I wanted to make visible. And, and this extreme violence, in, in a way, the Yellow Vest was a test on the bourgeoisie, you know? At least it forced them to say what they are. And maybe we don't always succeed to change the people through the books we make, through the movies we make, through the essays we write, but at least maybe a powerful piece of art, maybe a powerful piece of cinema, a powerful book is something that forces people to say who they are, which is a way of struggling against this state of lie that Geoffroy was talking about, this state of lie and this lie surrounding us all the time. Suddenly, all these people around me in the cultural bourgeoisie in Paris, they were forced to say how much they ate the working class, you know? Mm. And, and before, it was easy to say, I love the Darden brothers, you know? <gasps> the Darden brothers, <laughs> the movies are so moving, they are magnificent. But if these poor people from the Darden movies, they revolt, then they say, oh my God, they are disgusting, they are homophobic, they are racist, they are retarded, they are stupid, you know? And we, we heard in the public sphere yeah. some words that we very rarely hear, you know? And so, and so this movement was, was, was at least showing the, re the reality. But, but sometimes I, 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 can't, I can't understand why the, the, the arts is so, are so powerless. I, 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 I don't have, I, maybe I don't have any answer, but uh, mm. uh, yes, um, yes, I, I, I want, uh, je veux pas parler, I don't want to talk too much, but I want to talk of a, a very strong movie that I saw uh, um, uh, recently, which is, um, it's a documentary movie called A Northern Soul, and it's a, a movie about Hull, a small city in the north of England, extremely poor, mm. uh, post-industrial, extremely isolated. And in this region, because people have been excluded from the school system and because people have been living in such poverty and, and dispossession, the kids have trouble speaking most of the time. They have um, dyslexia and everything. And there is a factory worker in this city who decides to create a rap group to sing rap, to sing rap, rap music, rap and R&B music. And so he creates that to help the kids to stand and to speak and to be fierce and to be proud of themselves and to be strong. And it, it works like gradually they are more and more comfortable mm -hmm. but because he does that the factory where this guy is working the things that is not working hard enough at the factory because he's spending too much time with this association he created to 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 help the kids and because they think he's not serious enough they lower uh, his salary, the lower the money he's making every mm. month. So they are punishing him because he's helping these kids. Mm. And because he has no more money, because they cut his money, because they think that he's not working hard enough, he has no money to go visit mm. his daughter who lives a few kilometers mm. away. So he cannot see his daughter mm. because he was helping some working class people. And I remember when I saw that movie, A Northern Soul, I was so moved. I said to the people in the room, if you don't vote for the left, just go away. <laughs> don't watch this movie. And uh, it's true.
Because don't, don't be moved by it. Don't tell me it's moving if you don't do anything after that, you know? Mm. And, uh, and sometimes, sorry it was a long answer, but sometimes it just makes me, just makes me crazy, you know? And there was one person who stand and left the room. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, 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 so we have also, Geoffroy has a lot of things to, do, to say about it. We, sometimes we also have to, we, we, we have to fight also the, the arts, you know? We have to fight the idea of art. We have the, to fight, if we want to make better things, we have to fight against the category of art, the emancipatory, uh, emancipatory arts, the arts that br build bridges and not walls and all these uh, sentences. Because, because if you want to do good, good art or good theory, you have to fight very hard against art and theory mm. because they are not... Uh, and there's good art, there's good uh, bad art, there's good theory and bad theory. Right. Exactly. <laughs> um, to end on, um, on uh, at least, I mean, you were kind of back and forth now. I was, where are we going to land? Are, is art good or not? Or, <laughs> yeah, but we, we got the point. Uh, to end on, a, on a, a kind of a hopeful note, at least, I was thinking of the, the movement uh, for justice for Adama. Um, it's, it will be three years this summer since he was, he was killed. Um, and uh, and the movement has demanded justice, as in, uh, I mean, what what would that justice mean? Uh, the hopeful part of it is that there was a, a reopening kind of of the case, a new investigation being opened uh, in April. Yeah. Uh, but what could be justice well, for Adama? You know. Um, for me, I will say it like that, but <laughs> for me, justice for Adama means revolution. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm not in favor of uh, the criminal justice system, and this is my only disagreement with ASA, and we argue, we, we address this issue in the book. I am against uh, a, a kind of politics that wants uh, bad cops to go to jail. And so I am not in favor of uh, the idea that demanding justice for Adama is to sentence three cops to, uh, to jail. And I but don't there's think a very good risk they will end up in jail now. Sorry? Sorry? With the current. Yes, with the European, they, they may face uh, years in jail or not, but um, I don't think that you, you have to link an emancipatory uh, movement with the claim for uh, state violence and uh, uh, punishment. So I don't think that justice for Adama means uh, three guys in jail. Uh, for me, as I, I will retry to think in the book, I think that the Adamas fight has now become in France uh, the location of, really the location of a new, a renewal of uh, the, the politics uh, and a, a way of um, uh, um, um, uh, addressing, uh, addressing society uh, and political forces um, uh, with new people, with new vocabulary, with Edouard, with I, with Assa, with Youssef, with Al Mami, and so on. And we tend to create a group, a new, a new language, a new aesthetic of the left, and so on. And I think, uh, I truly, be, I, I said in an in interview that um, I think that the Adamas fight should be for the 21st century, whilst the Marxism was for the 19th century. 
which is to mean another way of thinking about society, of thinking about society and to change uh, society, you know? So that's why I say that justice for Adama means to change. You know, in the book we say you can't understand the death of Adama Traoré if you don't understand the school system. So mm. was it, why was he not at school, but was he outside? You can't understand that if you don't understand masculinity, if you don't understand race, of course, if you don't understand public sphere, if you don't understand democracy. And so if you want to, if you want Adama not to be dead, you have to create a, another. Uh, uh, it's, an, it's in a, a totally another society that Adama would not be dead. And so, if you fight for Adama, which means Adama has a proper name who embodies all the other Adamas who are exposed to this kind of death, you have to change the whole society. And that's why I think that justice for Adama means a revolution. Mm. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> It's like it's like in the classical uh, uh, Swedish detective stories from Sjövall och Valle, where the last word in the ten-volume book is uh, Marx, and then we can st end here on the word revolution Absolutely. Uh, in your spirit. <laughs> I'm a Marxist. And, uh, <laughs> and thank you so much, Edouard Louis and Geoffroy de Lagasserie. Okay. Uh, Geoffroy, you are more or less free to go unless someone. Uh, stops you on the way out to disagree or ask a question or something. Edouard, you have some work still to do because you'll sign books in the bookshop, <laughs> uh, unfortunately, for you. Uh, but luckily as well, because I'm sure there's a lot of people who want that signature, and that's nice. Thank you so much, Thank everyone, for coming. Much. Thank you for, uh, Thank you for being here. You've been listening to a podcast from the House of Literature in Oslo, presenting adapted versions of lectures and conversations featuring international writers and thinkers. You can find more episodes and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud and our website. The music is by Apotek.